Hey, it's Chris Urban. Welcome to the TripleClix Video Game Marketing Podcast. When talking to brands about gaming, the biggest question that often comes up is around esports and streamers. So I sat down with Peter Letts, who's a CAA agent that manages digital talents focused on gaming. He oversees a great roster that includes Dr. Disrespect, Stone Mountain 64, KP, and Nick A30. We had a great discussion around the role of agents in this new growing space, the best way for brands to get into esports and streaming, and when talent needs representation. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Peter Letts, CAA agent, digital talent and packaging focused on gaming. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming all the way out to do this. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's a phrase I, I didn't anticipate in my career. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I was looking through your bio, and before we're going to dive deep into gaming and, and the stuff you work at, but the first thing I saw was RKO Pictures. Yes. What was it like to work at such a historic company? Just for reference, RKO Pictures, one of the first studios, a little over 500 films, I think King Kong, Citizen Kane, It's a Wonderful Life. Like, What yeah, an amazing company. Right. What was it like working, working there? Um, well, First, to be clear, we're, we're, the lineage is not direct, right? Correct. It's Howard, actually sold by Howard Hughes. There's yes, a whole bunch of very, leadership change. It's a very circuitous lineage. <laughs> One of the most interesting things, well, not interesting, but just while I was there, I mean, they had to have multiple employees who their only job was to chase chain of title. Because you're talking about movies from the 1930s that um, no one anticipated in 100 years you know, or yeah. 60 years or whatever. Someone would be like, yeah, let's remake this. So they weren't worried about chain of title that much. So they would have to call heirs. They would have to, like, track things down, see, like, check, you know, really, like, some private investigator type stuff to, like, clear chain of title on some of these things. So um, it wasn't super linear. Like, I'm on the old RKO lot. I'm sure yeah, one of the studios is now on an RKO lot. Because it was Paramount was part of that for a while, and then, it, you know, I think it split off in Lucille, and there's a whole yeah. bunch of interesting things. But it, but, it, but it was fun. I mean, I, uh, I was a liberal arts student and uh, majored in film, which meant that 10 of my 32 classes were just watching movies from the 1930s and talking about them. So that was fun. Did you have a favorite film from the category? Even or the marketing, the, the posters from those days. Oh, like the this. posters are so good. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, Val Luton is one that I learned about actually by working at that company. Um, he's kind of a cult favorite amongst filmmakers. He was a producer, but he was seen as having sort of the authorial stamp more so than some of the other creatives involved. Sure. Um, basically, RKO is like, and this is so on a tangent, but it's kind of fun. RKO is like, you know what? Uh, Universal's doing all these monster movies. Like, just Val Luton, he was an accountant or something at the time on the on the lot. Just make us some horror movies. Make it for no money. We'll um, sort of test titles, and then you just make movies that fit the title, and we don't care. Yeah. Like, we don't care otherwise. So he went and made these like almost nihilistic European art films <laughs> disguised as monster movies um, where you never actually see the monster. So people like Scorsese and um, uh, others uh, uh, really admired these works. It was uh, uh, Cat People, Ghost Ship, um, I Walked with a Zombie, um, Seventh Victim. Just uh, anyways, the art is like awesome on these old movie posters and is these really, really surprisingly dark 
horror movies from that era. You see it like Gareth Edwards' Monsters, where you don't, budget-wise, yeah. you just don't get to see the yeah. monster for a while. It works better most of the time, right? Yeah. Like, one thing I didn't like about that movie, Mama, uh, was it Mama? I yeah. think so, um, that Guillermo del Toro produced, is that out of the gate, you're seeing the CGI right in front of your face. And as soon as I see a CGI ghost, I'm like, out. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's interesting. Cloverfield, yeah. same kind of disguising yeah. that kind of stuff, which is interesting. So you do, a, I, I, you know, I saw Ambitious Entertainment, and you started and co-founded your own kind of production company, and then you move over to Studio Seventy One. How did you get into gaming? What was the? I know yeah. you're a D and D fan, but yeah, from yeah. a gaming perspective, how did you um, slide over? So I'd been in uh, film and TV for for my entire career up to that point, right? Um, and I'd always loved gaming. I had never given two thoughts to gaming as an industry. I mean, there aren't that many schools. USC is a big one for, for game design and stuff like that. Not that many schools. You're like, Oh, I'll do like, I go to a liberal arts school and I'm going to take the the (laughs) games major. Right. Like, so, um, hadn't really occurred to me, but certainly grew up on games and, and, and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and while I loved film and television, um, the business felt like it wasn't changing at all. Um, and I was doing the same thing every day and there wasn't, there weren't things to challenge me as much as I loved. I represented writers, still very close friends with a lot of my writers, um, that I represented then played D and D with a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it just was not getting me up in the morning at that time. And it didn't take And frankly, it just didn't take a rocket scientist to be like, unless maybe if you were, uh, um, an agent at CA or something like that, like the, the, the business was shrinking and hyper competitive. And as someone who was on the upward trajectory or early in my career rather than later, um, it was still early enough to go, I want to go somewhere where there's growth. So I I didn't know exactly where I was going to end up, but I I was like identified digital and gaming or some combination thereof is what I was interested in. So, um, I started actually working with, uh, small independent developers that I liked their IP and looking at how I could help them expand to film and TV or how I could get them the rights to film and TV property, film and TV properties to turn into games, um, in the sort of the telltale model, um, that process, nothing actually got produced that I was working on through that process, but it was an incredible learning process about what is the disconnect between traditional entertainment and games going in both directions. Significantly different. Um, and then I just met a lot of people and I networked and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I ended up meeting with some folks at studio 71. They had a large, um, multi-channel network, um, which is a, um, I don't know if you're familiar with that business model, but it's, uh, you know, YouTube focused, sure. um, and they were very successful across a lot of verticals, not in gaming. Um, they knew I had a talent background. They knew I had a sort of building businesses from the ground up background, which it would be building a new business inside of their business. Um, and they knew I would, I knew enough about gaming certainly wasn't a decade long veteran of the gaming business or anything sure. like that. So, um, I went there to start their their gaming group, um, which um, a lot of it's focused on ad, ad inventory on YouTube um, in the gaming vertical. But I got to do a lot of fun stuff there because, you know, it's a very entrepreneurial company as well. So um, one of my favorite things that I was involved in there, um, are you a fan of the game Binding of Isaac at all? Uh, I've seen it. I haven't played. Yeah. Um, kind of a weird cult mm-hmm. favorite. I mean, in the best possible way. It's just, I'm it. definitely one of the people it like speaks to. Um, and, 
I, uh, I I put together the deal to turn that into a card game, which is something so random. But sure. uh, I mean, it, it ended up raising um, you know seven figures, mid seven figures on Kickstarter, and uh, you know also evangelized their esports and Twitch. Um, so very early on, I was working with Fnatic and and a number of other esports teams. I produced a documentary for AOL on on Fnatic that was kind of a competition series. Um, and I produced uh, uh, a series on, or a special, ended up being a, a broadcast special on CLG Red, the all-female Counter-Strike team for uh, the CW. So, um, but the focus at that company was not Twitch or, or esports. Yeah. Um, something that's been fun about coming over to CA is um, I don't have to be as skewed towards one platform in YouTube. Um, I could... You know, sure. Anywhere there's a talent that that can build out their career, I can sort of. Be yeah, involved. no, that's great, and it it feels good to get kind of deep in the weeds instantly to to figure out navigating those things. I worked at EA for a long time, and yeah. it was licensing out the IP is so protective, and they're not sure what they want to do. Like a card game is the perfect path because they're like, oh, we like this kind of stuff. We want to do that. We, we want to do those kind of things as yeah. opposed to. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. Uh, so tell me, so there, you moved to CAA. Tell me about the like just the day to day, so everybody understands kind of your role at CAA. And, and what you what you manage there? Yeah, absolutely. I like to um, you know start start from a, a pretty simple place because I think you know there's a lot of mystique sometimes around agents and what they do, and especially in different new fields. Um, but I think it's ultimately a pretty blue collar job and pretty simple, which is that you're. Uh, I mean, I'm a talent agent, and I represent the interests of talent and negotiate deals in their best interest. Um, and procure work for them um, is sort of the simplest version of that. And then, you know, where you get into some of the, um, you know, uh, the stuff that spreads a little farther, it's how do we um, actively elevate their career? How do we actively diversify their business pipelines? How do we make Sure. Um, their business wider than what it is today, but um, which is standard in most entertainment spaces. New to this one, yes, and, and that's correct. that's the kind of the interesting yeah new-ish is- people been basically where you don't have licensed agents doing the work, you will have different entities picking up that workload because people need it. Whether that's you know somebody's brother or hmm. sure. friend or whatever um or or whether it's a management company or somebody's going to pick up that workload ultimately so you i saw the client roster is really impressive you, you managed some great stuff dr disrespect kp nick a30 a lot of good ones what um on a day-to-day basis what's what's the role is it you know, do you sit with these guys and be like, what brands do you want to work with or how do you want to grow your business? Or when you, when you bring someone new on for the first time, what's the conversation and how do you kind of help them figure out, is it brands you want to work with? Is it different streams you want to get into? What is that like to, to, yeah, to begin? Yeah, it's totally different for every client. I mean, that's, that's the way I try to look at it because again, at the end of the day, the thesis of what I do is, is servicing talent. So, um, I try not to lose sight of that. So, um, we can help strategize with people, but it all starts with sitting down even before they sign, right? Like in just the the meetings, figuring out if it's a good match. It's like, what do you want? What do you mm-hmm. want? And I can tell you about what resources we have here. I can tell you about ideas I have for you, but like it's all irrelevant um, to, to an extent um, without your sort of 
guidance on on what do you want to see, right? So I'm a huge shoe fan. I want a shoe deal, or I 100%. love candy, and I want like candy deal. Like yeah, and 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 brand deals is you know today especially sort of building this vertical um, right now uh, is and I think for most people in the space the 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 majority of the revenue is brand deals, right? Mm-hmm. But there are other ambitions that people have, which is one reason that you know the resources of a entertainment agency are appealing to people. Sure, because um, it's all there. Like I don't know how to get someone a voice acting gig, but like we have a department for that, right? So, yeah. um, or I don't know how to put on a, a live tour, but we have an entire department for that. So. Um, it starts from, hey, what do you want? And some people, you know, I, I represent um, Sung Won Cho, speaking of voice acting, also known as ProZD, who's like a um, a comedian in the geek and gaming sort of uh, uh, category. And he's, you know, he wants to be a voice actor and that's his number one priority. Um, and we service the brand deal side, but that, you know, his larger, that's his larger ambition. Other people could definitely not care less about acting in any capacity, um, we represent two people who have game development degrees. So, you know, they have an agent on their team that's part of our group that reps game developers and helps them raise financing and do their publishing deals and all that kind of stuff. So it varies so wildly depending on someone's ambition and, and where their head is at as a person. And there's plenty of clients who are like, I, no, I just want to stream. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily plenty of clients that I work with, but plenty of talent that it's like, I just want to stream and I'll yeah. do a, I'll do a brand deal here and there when it's easy. Wouldn't necessarily say that those are the people that need to be serviced by, um, a, it doesn't maximize what like a CA has to offer. Sure. Um, there's some of those people that maybe we like enough and, and they do just need the, the really blue collar servicing and, and we'll do that too. But gotcha. more often than not, we're looking for people to kind of tap into multiple buckets. No, that's great. When you talk about, there's the, the voice acting and the side, the side hustles, if you will, for some of those guys who are in different directions they want to put themselves in from the people who are just streaming or playing, what are the revenue kind of, um, streams for those guys? How are you, how are they? When you bring a brand in, what are the different things that br- the ways brands can kind of engage with that? Obviously, there's the in-game placement or the placement of, within broadcast. Is there different buckets of streams for them? Yeah, I mean, in terms of products, essentially that they can buy into, um, I think people are getting a lot more creative with it. Um, I would say that the the um, early day t- Twitch, uh, not on the media sales side, not the products that, that Twitch is selling, but the early days sort of like custom integration into a Twitch streamer's stream was really simple. It was a burned-in logo on stream. It's a banner beneath the stream with a some sort of clickable link or discount code um, and a social post and some shout-outs on stream. Sure. Super simple stuff. That still is a part of the package for the vast majority of deals. Um, and it still sort of defines the starting point for the ongoing sort of year-long endemic sponsorships. Um, but things are getting a lot more interesting. Um, I, I think people are figuring out ways, whether it's you know creating a custom emote that incorporates the brand into it, right? And actually allows the fans to engage with the brand and see value from the brand. Um, you know, whether that, it, it, you know, I'm making one up, but if you were to do a, a sponsorship between Doc and Nike, and now you can use a Doc's Nike shoe as an emote in the chat, like that, there are now, there are more inter- there are interesting ways that, that to people can incorporate. There's Twitch extensions, um, which is a way to create more interactivity in streaming, and, and you can create 
product through that. I gotcha. Is there a difference? So when the brands come in to do the buys, you can buy on Twitch or you can buy directly with the creators or how does, how does that work? If there's only one person who can, who can sell media on Twitch and that's Twitch. So no, no one else, you know, uh, uh, purports to sell media on Twitch. Um, so, because right. there's other channels for the talents as exactly. well, right? So, so the brands want to extend just outside of if they just want to buy Twitch, it's easy to buy Twitch. If they want to have a relationship with Doc, it's yes. just a different If they're different interested thing. in Doc disrespect and getting a YouTube video and a Twitter post and a Instagram post and something integrated into his stream and a live appearance, um, sure, you know. Then, then we're a talent agent and we can facilitate those deals. I got you. Yeah. And fees mostly based on, is it media? Is it the typical media eyeballs? And, and how do you, how do you gauge? Kind um, of six, so for you guys, what are success? Yeah, CPMs things? don't work well. Um, when we talk to brands, uh, about Twitch, um, they tend to minimize what the reach is. Um, the, because Twitch isn't necessarily about, um, just the number of impressions. Um, it's about the fact that their average user, and I'm going to pitch Twitch here for a second. But sure. Yeah, it's about the the how long their average user watches. It's about how how engaged they are, and it's about the targeted nature of of the audience. So um, we don't use CPMs. The industry standard is to talk about, for the most part, is to talk about either average concurrent viewers. Um, the average number of people watching at any one time or to, um, or to look at the average, um, uh, uh, watch time uh, okay. per user or the aggregate watch time per stream, um, by the users. So it tends to be more about who's watching at once or how much they're watching, um, and, uh, linking it to that. I mean, that's when you look at it from sure. more of a media side, obviously as talent, um, it doesn't always back into, you know, like some standard programmatic buy. Like, sure. You know, buy yeah, media, it's different. So. Um, we, we see a lot of we, a lot of brands come in for the first time to gaming into esports because that's just kind of the Trojan horse. They like I don't, my job is to deliver gaming and I talk to my bosses and I have to do gaming stuff. And so I think I just do Twitch. But how do I, you know, so brands come in that way. And then what our agency, we try and help them understand is like, you have to have a strategy for gaming. And then we use those channels to amplify your message and build that out. Do you see a big difference between esports athletes and streamers or how those are treated online? Um, Cause obviously esports is always esports, esports, esports. And you're like, actually 90% of the views are on these creators who are just telling their story. Yeah. Not as like people are like, you know, like I think Ninja is one of the best esports athletes out there. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> he doesn't play esports. He's a streamer, right? He's a creator. Yeah. Yeah. So it's di- helping them kind of navigate the space. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the definition that you use uh, depends on the context or what you're trying to get across, right? Um, certainly, one definition of esports, which is probably the one I go with most of the time, which is not what brands mean when they say esports, is um, sometimes because they're they might be talking about a doc or a ninja or something like that. Um, is it there? There has to be some league structure and some competitive structure that is primarily for um, fair competition, right? So, uh, Fortnite really hits this interesting gray area, right? It's definitely a competitive game. There are definitely tournaments around it. Um, and so it fits into what a lot of people think of as esports. Um, but then, 
again, could be kind of semantics. You go, Fortnite, not quite an eSport yet necessarily because it's more about invitational than pure skill, though now they have the World Cup. But, you know, it's not quite an Overwatch League or or, uh, LCS or, you know, somewhere where it's only about who is the best. It doesn't matter what your popularity is. And there's a very specific structure to that league and a season and tournaments. Um, So, you know... uh, uh, Ninja and Doc, their goal is not to be the best at their respective games. Although some of these people are former e- are former sure. esports competitors, right? Sh- uh, Shroud and Ninja are both, and and Nick Merckx are all former uh, competitors in the scene. So that, I, I think there's a lot of ways in which that line blurs for people. But I think brands generally come in with, "I want to be in esports because esports is a good." is a story that feels familiar to them, right? Hey, I know that my brand or similar brands get a lot of value by sponsoring the NFL, um, by sponsoring a team, all these different things. And and we at CA actually represent sponsorship rights for certain leagues, um, uh, Riot Games, for instance. Um, So uh, that feels super familiar, and it's what has a cool story that the mainstream press will tell, right? Whereas uh, digital talent or influencer might feel like a scarier bucket because um, it it, it feels less reliable and scary to a brand, right? But um, the the reach that a single talent may have on Twitch or YouTube may um, exceed exponentially that of any particular team, and that's that's a problem that teams are trying to solve for yeah um you know because the league controls their media the talent controls their media and the team has to figure out what they control and can sell and and there's huge value to be associated with teams right huge value um but it's but much easier in the players and the you know what i mean i feel like if you're a brand coming in cold and you're like all right so what am i buying am i buying a league sponsorship a team sponsorship uh, individual players yeah uh, you, you know what i mean or the platform that's doing it or like ea will try and sell you for the fifa so it feels like there's 19 entry points for brands 100 so percent. and league, i think that's league, the part team that's, tournament talent platforms um, platform it, it feels complicated for those guys getting in the first time which i mean i think having someone like you guys that can help navigate the right kind of placement for those yeah. which, i think it's fair and and where is the right placement for a particular brand is highly dependent on what the objectives of their brand are right i mean you know um it may be right to sponsor a league it may be right to sponsor a team um, but esports, as at least as we've narrowly defined it, as it, it must have some sort of competitive structure with teams and a league and tournaments, um, is a very specific and arguably small subsection, even though a very powerful subsection that drives a lot of conversation, drives a lot of value of the overall gaming industry, um, as yeah. you know, right? I mean, I tell people um, when they come in with a lot of preconceptions around gaming, I'm like, look, People have an idea that gaming's in a very specific audience and niche, but when you look at television, you know that it could be Sesame Street, Walking Dead, and 
you know, uh, uh, the voice, right? Like sure. it, it has this, and that level of diversity is there in games as well. Um, yeah. So we, you know, when we talk to brands for the first time, they'll be like, look, so we want to get into esports. Esports is going to be a billion dollars by next year. And I'm like, cool. Call of Duty is 1.5 billion this year. Like right. it's just such yeah. a different kind of space. I think one of the thing, the conversations we have with brands is, are you trying to build a relationship with gamers or are you trying right. to market to gamers? Because I think esports and influencers is a great way to, to, to market strictly to gamers. We tend to uh, have conversations about, let's build relationships with gamers and then use those platforms to amplify your message. So instead of saying Coke is delicious on a broadcast for a, an overleague, you could actually say, hey, did you like that weapon you just saw? You can get it by doing this with our product yeah. and then using those channels to amplify it. But it's, it's an interesting conversation with brands to, to figure out what the right play for, I, for them I is. I think that's really smart. I look at it. I mean, gamers are a group, um, if I'm now um, generalizing, um, at least in the audiences we're talking about that are on, on YouTube and Twitch and, and eSports and stuff like that. I mean, they want to see value from the brand, right? And yep. they will love a brand, really get behind a brand um, when they feel like that brand is uh, bringing value to their presence in gaming, right? I, I think people uh, focus too much on, well, if you're in gaming, you have to be authentic. It's like, okay, well, that should go without saying. Yeah. You're going to come in and be, yeah. be inauthentic. Our right? promise is not to get people on, not to have brands on Reddit is like, yeah. our, is our, is our right. first promise. Like, um, but it, like more than just being authentic, cause that should be a given. It's provides something of value to the fans, whether that is such a, such a true statement because you don't see that in the movie industry, right? right? Like when you see movie promotions, there's zero promise of value, right? It's more of like star Wars is coming. Like that's all you need to, you know, that's the cereal box as right. opposed to, to your point, this audience, it, you know, you spend, you watch star Wars three times in the theaters, you buy the DVD, you spend 10 hours watching star Wars. You're going to spend 400 hours in gears of war, right? Like these guys are so much closer to the brand than anything else. Yeah. And the companies are so used to selling them microtransactions when you buy your $60 game or your $100, you know, exclusive edition. Um, but then they're going to sell you weapons or levels and there's a lot of that stuff. So we've always been of that same mindset that like, hey, you could get that for free if you buy a taco at Taco Bell. And you're like, well, fuck, I was going to spend $3 on it anyways, but I eat at Taco Bell, so now I'm going to get it for free. So Taco Bell hooked me up, right? And then the companies don't look so bad selling them microtransactions because they did this deal over here. And so it just feels like that connective tissue of kind of keeping the positive energy flowing between brands, 100%. studios, and gamers. Um, and, you know, I'm staring at one of your uh, Chips Ahoy boxes here with a Sea of Thieves code. And and that's a great example. Um, but it also doesn't it also doesn't have to be uh, hard value like that. If the if the fans yeah. believe that the brand is supporting what they love in some way, mm -hmm. um, and that's where sponsoring a new tournament and and they're providing the prize pool and there's an open qualifier for fans to get in and potentially get a piece of that prize pool and win a special something like yeah. There, there's also value that can be seen as soft value and and there, there's access. Depth, yeah, yeah. Access is always a big. I, I think the chips always one's a really good example because we did that program and if there's four pieces of exclusive content you can only get on that package. Chips. Ahoy is only available in the U.S. It's a global game. So if you go to eBay and you search Chips Ahoy and Sea of Thieves, you see thousands of packs that sold for $10 because they're kind of built this arbitrage around that content. 
But then when that launches, we actually go to the influencers and the, and the curators and the talent to talk about the program. And so that's how we kind of try and go full circle and bring everybody in together because I think the industry works better when it's all together. So working with the, the streamers to, to have those conversations and, and build a relationship so they can talk positively about Tips Hoy which is rewarding to the consumers because you're getting the content and now the people that you like are actually engaging with it as well. So I feel like there's this kind of 360 degree kind of connection. And it wraps back around as a thesis to talent activations in gaming in the sense that you can buy hours from a streamer pretty easily with a burnt in logo and the banner and they'll hit talking points for you. And there's certain times where that works just fine. I mean, in, in the podcast space, for instance, when you're doing ad reads, I mean, that's what everyone expects, right? Sure. Um, but I, I think brands are having a lot more success when they bundle in that, you know, buy a few hours from a streamer with the logo and the shout out, and they bundle that with something that makes it look like a true relationship yeah. with the talent, where the talent got some value and even the fans got some value there too. But even if if the, the fans can see that the talent got value and there's an engagement there beyond, I mean, obviously they know the person's getting paid for that, beyond that that um, that's that's really special. Whether that's a skin in a game that the fans can download that is based around their their uh, um, the uh, talent that they like or product, a collectible. You know, um, Doc has done a lot of things with the brand partners, Doc Disrespect, that he's worked with where, you know, it's a limited edition product that, that his fans can get. And obviously, like, again, looking at, at your shelf of different products, like, Gamers are certainly over-indexed to being collectors, so yeah. um, that's a great way to make make the fans excited about a brand partnership. Yeah, totally. Do you, do you have a good example of any um, of all the stuff you've done? What's one that really resonated both with the talent as well as the audience? Is there a good example of a brand kind of came in and was I like, this is kind of authentic? Because I do like the idea of the chips ahoy and if they're buying the time on the thing but they're giving away codes from the packages and you know maybe first access to stuff um trying to think about i mean one, one uh campaign that i thought was really great was doc disrespect being in a digital sort of commercial spot with peter stormare for call of duties um uh, the replacer campaign, okay. and it was just so fun to see his character with Peter Stormare's character. I hope I'm pronouncing his right, name sure. right. Um, uh, that the fans just had a blast with it, right? And that's just that's value to the consumer because it's entertainment content. Oh my god, I got to see Doc with the replacer. And they released some, you know, the original spot was very quick with Doc in it, although it was a great cameo. And then they released additional content where it's a bunch of ad libs between the two of them going back and forth. So that was really fun. The talent loved it. The fans loved it. um, And it was a great piece of content. So, I mean, again, that's where it's not always hard value. Soft value is it's an entertaining piece of content that I didn't get to consume before somebody decided to to put it together on the brand side. That's great. How, you know, I think there's probably, hopefully there's a ton of people out there listening saying, how do I get representation from the space? Like I've got 400, 500,000 followers. I'm trying to build my game. I'm young. Like you've got the the big ones. How do, how do you find, how do you find people and how, what is your recommendation for kids to get found? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that's always a question in every field where (laughs) there are representatives, right? I mean, uh, um, someone was just texting me the other day, how does one get represented as an actor, right? (laughs) Like, and, um, there's a slightly different version in every 
industry for, for how that happens. Um, Acting feels tougher because you're like, hey, I've got these skills and I want you to show them right. to you. As we're in this space, you're like, oh. You've already pre- Yeah, look at look at your book of work and look at your followers and you're starting to grow. Right. I mean, is it just grinding or what's the... Yeah, I mean, look, we, we have a handful of different um, criteria. And I would say at the large agency level, you're certainly... You'll take a few shots on people that you want to help grow, right? And uh, uh, but normally you're talking about people with really healthy businesses already that are looking to get to the next level or looking to have proper representation. Um, so you know if you're uh, if you don't have a certain level of scale, very difficult to get representation of a certain type at at um, you know a three letter agency or whatever. Sure. Um, you might be better off with a manager or with, um, you know, a lawyer who, who is uh, a good lawyer or, or a business partner or something like that. It may not, there may be no need to, to have a representative, um, too early on. Um, I certainly look at a handful of different buckets. I, you got to look at scale, right? How, how many viewers are you getting? Because that, you know, is a big part of what you're selling to a lot of people. Um, but I used to, you know, I were, used to work out of the multi-channel network uh, structure where your overall scale that then could be media that you're selling is a lot more important than it is to me now. Where, yes, I need some scale, but um, I need a, a talent and premium brand and a premium association with the talent just as much. So, for for me, it's yes, you got to check off some scale boxes. Um, but then it's, you know, oh, it, it, life's too short for me. So <laughs> it's professionalism sure. and being an adult. So my, uh, my list certainly skews towards people who are, um, who are adults and who are professionals and, and have a good reputation for that. Um, and I'm asking this question of like the number one agency, like this is the top of the bucket, right? Yeah. Like there's like, to your point, there's smaller agencies that'll take you that yep. are risks and yep. those kind of things. And then hopefully they migrate up into kind of your stratosphere. But, uh, you know, I'm sure people are curious of how to, you know, how to, how to break into your kind of world. And obviously, you know, the things you brought up are kind of obvious. Yeah. Some and, of that uh, stuff. and there's a, the, the, you know, I look at it essentially four or five buckets. Those are the first two probably after that, as I alluded to earlier, it's, um, ambition and and intelligence sort of like are there other interesting things to do rather than um you know you're going to be grinding 10 to 10 hours a day maybe doing your streaming what other things do you want to get into that we can help you with and, and elevate you um and then i like to look for people who have some point of view um it doesn't have to be complicated it could literally be like have fun playing games stay positive and you know be yeah. cool right build a um, brand but so, some viewpoint that that is clear um, as opposed to I play games and I'm really happy I'm making money by playing games. So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now that you're an industry veteran, where do you see this place going in the next five to ten years? I mean, five years ago, this is a weird conversation of what we just talked about in five years from now. Yeah, I didn't knew this. I didn't know this existed in 2007 um, when I moved out to Los Angeles to be in film, and I, I moved out here to be in film, not just film and TV. Like TV was the redheaded stepchild, even I yeah. think. Um, in 2007. So um, I, I joked with my former boss actually at RKO Pictures, who is now uh, an Emmy nominated um, augmented reality director with a company specializing in AI conversational um, content, 
where you have you have a he did something for thirteen reasons why where you have a conversation with a character from the from the show, um, and we we're like these literally these things didn't exist back then or I would have to look up when Justin TV started and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, obviously it's changed wildly even that between now and when I was working at Studio Seventy One. Um, you have uh, Twitch taking off on a whole different stratosphere than where it was, where it was very YouTube-focused just, just two, three years ago in the gaming space. So in the next five to ten, um, uh, 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 one thing I'm really interested in is um, how different mediums are blurring the lines between them, right? So we have linear narrative content um, starting to figure out ways of being interactive, whether that's Bandersnatch on Netflix or something like that. You have games, um, I mean, over a long period of time, figuring out more and more uh, ways of being cinematic and narrative, um, whether that's something like The Last of Us or it's the Telltale Games or whatever. And then you have digital platforms going, you know, we want to figure out how to truly be more interactive, um, not just... Uh, through chat, right? Through through meaningful audience interaction, um, and I think that's one uh, one trend. Figuring out, you know, especially for live streaming, and 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 uh, and all that kind of stuff. More than just, hey, I'm in the I'm in the chat spamming, you know, an emote. Like, sure. what what is that? What is that next level of interaction look like? Um, is it's something very interesting to me. Do you see VR coming into the creator space at all? Um, I keep hearing, not, like, I have so many friends that are working in VR, and VR is the next big thing, and all, all those things. How, how do you see it coming into your space? Ironically, being someone who works in, like, a, I guess a technology-focused field, I'm kind of a grumpy old man about certain things. Um, so I'm definitely not the person to, like, sit here and evangelize VR. You should um, do a whole podcast on bashing VR, because <laughs> I have a challenge with some of it, too. I love it. What I want from a VR is I want to be... I'm from New York. Yeah. I want to, like, front row at the Yankees, and I just want to sit on the couch and watch Yankee totally, games, totally. which is a different kind of thing of what's what's being created. I know i got to figure out the gaming thing. I've got eight-year-old twin boys, and I let them kind of get into the VR thing, and then yeah, they just want to sit on the it. couch. For me, it's tough, because you got to put on this headset and you're sweating and you're fully immersed so you can't pick up your beer and like it's not a um it's not a relaxing experience today to engage in something in vr which is why it's more like you know something for a tent pole type of piece of content it's hard it's not something that i can envision myself personally consuming on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. so that's why i'm more optimistic about utilitarian i suppose like like applications like real estate or you know training doctors for surgery yeah. and then as you said like being at a, a concert or, or or a sports event feels like a, a, a really good application but i'm i'm a grumpy old man about vr yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it's going to have a lot of effect on my space today although people are working on some interesting things like doing uh, meet and greets and events inside of VR yeah. um, that, that I think are interesting. I always thought, I, I agree with you on the different disciplines. I, I always thought Facebook buying Oculus was a, was a, was an interesting play, but then you see them put the onus on 
gaming to grow the space, whereas schools and medical field and military right. should be the things that are really funding and driving it. And then the entertainment space comes after. Yeah. When I worked, when I ran Madden for EA Sports, we used to do VR with the quarterbacks at like six or seven colleges, where we'd actually put the playbook into the VR headsets and they would use Madden to kind of train for things, which I always thought was like train less entertainment and more training and kind of learning always yeah. felt like the right place. So I thought Facebook coming into that was the right play, but I always yeah. felt like it's an odd, like putting the onus on gaming to solve the growth of that space yeah. always felt um, weird. I, I totally agree. And I, I just cannot pretend to be an AR or VR director. I, uh, sorry, expert. I think people are doing some really interesting things. It's hard for me to see having a huge impact on streamers or um, mainstream gaming entertainment even in the next five years. Yeah, no, that's great. Are you going to E3? Is there anything you're excited about this year? What do you want to see? In a a pattern of saying that I'm a grumpy old man, um, no, I'm probably, I mean, I go there and I like, sit in one location and take a hundred meetings. So the, it's hard for me Marriott, to get two stuff. In the, uh, it used to be the Marriott, Marriott lobby or the hallway between the two halls. Yes. That's where we usually I'm going to reveal a trade secret on this podcast that, um, I hope not too many people steal. Uh, the trick is lucky strike. Um, nice. it is completely empty in there. They're never upset that, you know, you're yeah. not spending a hundred dollars a minute there. And, and it's, well, air conditioning, it's I a like that, bit, you know, you know. I, I might edit this out because I might actually take that. Do you just get a lane or are you in the lobby? No, I just... Just I, the main area? No, I get... I, there's a table just to get, like, food and drinks. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I try to order, like, a drink every, like, 20 or 30 minutes or some snacks sure. over time and... They don't seem to mind too much because there's, I mean, how much business is there in the middle of the day at a lucky strike? Yeah. Um, it's a good, it's a good move because the exact same thing people try and do at uh, Starbucks in the lobby of the JW, but everybody's mm-hmm. doing the exact same thing. So yeah, exactly. having a dedicated space. I can't do the hotel lobbies anymore. It's too, too, it's, too much chaos. It's so once crazy. I found that lucky strike, I'm like, this is, this is my jam forever. Yeah, no, until, until it becomes a, an that's open a pro, secret. That's a pro move. Yeah. Thanks for coming out and do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me.